This episode of The Gourmet Goober is brought to you by SoFoodie. That's foodie with a PH. SoFoodie is the go-to platform that highlights the stories and showcases the talent of brothers and sisters who are innovating and creating in the world of food and beverage. Follow them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at SoFoodie, that's foodie with a PH, or sign up for their email at SoFoodie with a PH dot com. JJ Outlaw. Hi, T Outlaw. And you are listening to a new episode of the Gourmet Goober Podcast. You can find me, JJ Outlaw, anytime on Twitter at da-da, JJ Outlaw. <laughs> if you're on the Instagram, you can find me on Gourmet Goober. You can always check out our site at thegourmetgoober.com. And as always, you can drop us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. It feels like I'm rushing through all the ways you can get through to us. But as always, I am the Gourmet Goober, and I'm here co-hosting this podcast as I do every episode with my BFF, that dude. Really? Do I have to say it again? Drop that hammer. The Dark Desperado. Yeah! (laughs) T. Outlaw, a.k.a. Big Daddy. (laughs) How are you? (laughs) I'm doing fine. I would like to thank you for that introduction so glowingly. Hi, kids. I am T Outlaw, of which you can find me on social media at Twitter as T Outlaw and on Instagram at T Outlaw Josie Wells. How you doing, Gourmet Goober? I am fine. I'm trying to keep a straight face. I'm sorry. Wait a minute. Am I like amusing you? Dude, yes. Yes, you are. You know why? Because every podcast. I have to go through calling you the Dark Desperado. I never call him the Dark Desperado. I will call him that dude before Dark Desperado. I'm the Dark Desperado (laughs) on the mic for 2020. (laughs) Pandemic style. Well, you need to shut that down because we are in the last episode of 2020. Um, It is near Christmas time. So by the time this is out, it'll be the week of the holiday. And then after that, one more week to go of 2020 and its wretchedness. Oh, my God. This has been the worst year. (laughs) No, I'm not saying it's, you know, because every day that the good Lord gives us, we have to take it. You know, this year, yes, has been a challenge. This year has been very unexpected. Everything that we focused on coming out of 2019 well 
went quite left three months <laughs> in. Yeah. I think I basically blame everything on, like, you know, when we lost Kobe. Everything past that uh. point kind of became the tremendous dumpster fire oh that it God. was. But I remember that day. It was, like, on a Sunday. And I, I called you, and you were on the train going to work. Oh, my God. Remember being on the train going to work? Yes. I <laughs> and did. I just felt so horrible because, like, oh, this is the worst news. There is nothing that I could say that could be more messed up than the news I'm giving to Big Daddy right now. Little did I know that 2020 is like, hold my beer. (laughs) It's like, I got a little something for you. (laughs) If you think that, JJ, got a little something for you. Ooh, child, because we have had that conversation and said those words to us, each other, multiple times this year. Like, oh my God, when Chadwick passed away, it was just like, oh my God, I cannot believe i have to drop this on big daddy this will be the worst news ever but then before that um so they're shutting down our our jobs (laughs) because of covid (laughs) and i cannot believe i'm talking that big daddy and telling him this this is the worst news ever so it's just like an endless cycle so i personally am going to be happy that we're near the time to kick 2020 and it's Ginormous rear. <laughs> I have a new mantra though, because 2021 is going to be our year. I'm just putting that out there. I was going to say it was the year of Kamala, but. Well, yeah, of course. But then beyond that, 2020 is where the money resides, but the money resides. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. You want to explain <laughs> that to the American public? or No, no, no. Use the Google machine. <laughs> Use the Google machine. No, there's a viral video going around of this gentleman, and he is like my everything. In fact, if you guys are on my Instagram, you'll actually see it. I just recently shared it on Instagram. But he has this like ear run song that he was singing where, you know what, where he's working is where the money resides, baby. And I'm just like, you know what? That's how I'm going to look at 2021, 2021 for us. Sponsors, new opportunities for Plum Good and for the podcast. Talking to new people besides ourselves. Yes. <laughs> Interviews lining up, which we're really excited about. Baby, it's going to be where the money resides. I, I'm just going to claim that. I'm just going to claim that. <laughs> hey, whatever, you know, helps, you know, gives a little something in the pocket. You know, I'll take it. <laughs> but Yes. 2020 was uh, special. We'll go with that. Special. Yes. (laughs) So this is the segment of the podcast where we usually talk about the last two weeks before we dive into some other goodies. So Big Daddy, how was the last couple of weeks for you? I know my doctors. Well. Yes. We spent a lot of time with the doctors. Right. I'm still in recovery. I'm still going through processes and I'm still... Uh, working on my rehab, but for the most part, I am very blessed that as the year is coming to a close, that we are getting closer to me getting back to you know my regular spaces. But like you said, twenty twenty has not been normal, so you just never know. But more importantly, uh, I'm doing everything I can to you know be a good aid to the gourmet goober. I basically become the you know, in-house dog walker here. (laughs) 
Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Let, let me just, let me just say you being the doggy whisperer over these last couple of weeks, I'm very, very grateful for. And just taking a step back before the dog comment about the doctors, again, let me just take this opportunity, um, especially for the longtime listeners to say, thank you for all of your well wishes, big daddies um, coming and long great after his surgery that he had on his eye. Um, so we're hoping, like you said, that, you know, you're going to be recovering soon with that. And I'm just so grateful to everyone um, as far as the doctors that we've been working with. We have been really, really blessed. I mean, especially during the pandemic and everything going on, they have been incredibly responsive. Like the doctor you saw last week, he was serious. He's like, look, here's my card. (laughs) If you have any questions at all during this transition, I don't care how small it is. I don't care what time it is. Call me. (laughs) He wanted his money. (laughs) But more importantly, I mean, just to have that, it's really, really a great thing. And then he followed up while we were at home, which they almost never do. A lot of doctors don't. So we're just really blessed during this challenging time that you're in the hand of people who really care about your well-being and have your care in mind. So I'm just unbelievably grateful for that. And looking into 2021, besides being where the money resides, where the money resides, (laughs) that will bring us better health. But um, yeah, that, that is actually a good thing. Um, Especially since I know in my personal life, I have some friends right now who are experiencing challenges with their health for a variety of reasons, including one friend who has a spouse that's fighting the Rona right now. Okay. And hearing her response and just the challenges of even getting him a diagnosis and the challenge of even though he's experiencing the worst of it, she still can't get him into the hospital because where she lives, the hospitals are so backed up. You have to meet some qualifications before you're even considered, even though you're in in a really bad space. Oh my goodness. And I just can't imagine being in her spot right now. So yeah, I really could not. And that's the thing. Right. Once again, I mean, I know this is the last podcast of the year, so I'm not going to harp on it right now, but for all those people that early in 2020 said that they didn't care or that, you know, they didn't see like the pressure that's being put on the healthcare system. Well, guess what? There are people that are suffering right now, (laughs) right now. And just because you can't see it going on in the hospital doesn't mean that right now it's not going on in the hospitals and, um, nursery care units, not nursery, sorry, uh, senior care units, Right. that there are people who are truly in peril and putting pressure on the healthcare system is now coming around to bite unfortunate people horribly. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not going to get on my soapbox, but I'm just saying we are all suffering for what, you know, for the excesses that we brought forth earlier. Yeah. And without going into a lot of details, because 
I respect my friend's privacy. Um, I I've, have a num- number of good relationships over the past few months that have been touched by the pandemic, yes. both on the side of the caregiver, because I have a family member who works on the front line in providing care for senior patients. I do also. And I, the death. Um, on the other side, I have friends who either, in the case of my one friend and her spouse, trying to get him advanced medical care because it's terrifying to not know, or in the case of another friend who actually left the hospital um, a couple months ago and is dealing with long-term effects affecting his heart and his health that he's never had before as a result of the coronavirus. And just hearing people on TV just not thinking it exists or leaders who not think of it exists, and I'm just thinking, well, my friends aren't lying to me. I know these people. These people have been in my lives, our, our lives, for a while. And just seeing how disheartening it is, um, it's been really hard, you know, because you love and care for them. So right. I know that there's vaccines that are going out right now. Um, and again, we don't want to get on our soapbox. That's not our intention. Um, but I, I just pray that everyone, you know, as this podcast goes out, um, are safe and do what they can to remain healthy. Because even though the vaccines are going out, it's going to be months and months before we're even close to some semblance of normal. Um, and we want everyone to just be okay and, you know, have a happy 2021 after what we went through. So that we can all be where the money resides, where the money resides. <laughs> She's not gonna let that one go. <laughs> I was like, but look, it's either that or turn it into cheese song from <laughs> Okay, I will go. go back to the money. <laughs> you hate that song so much. Cause every so often when I need a laugh, I'll ask Big Daddy like a question and he'll answer, thinking it's like a legit question. But no, it's just a directive so I can play that. Turn it into cheese. (laughs) Yeah, in the last month, (laughs) how much cheese have we been not only like hearing, but also we have been uh, partaking of? There's been a lot of cheese in this house. Let's put it that way. You say that like it's a bad thing. Okay. (laughs) Is it because I'm lactose intolerant? I don't know, but. You know, I am too, but I am no quitter. That's right. I am not a quitter. Okay. <laughs> Took that one with a shot. <laughs> so, you know what? You know what? Let's change gears a little bit. Um, so, my week <laughs> has been really, really good. Um, again, we've been going back and forth to your doctors. I had a chance in the last couple of weeks to experience my favorite thing ever, my new best thing I ate this week. Um, Are to you the point. Talk about it now. Or no, no, no. I'll, I'll wait to the end of the podcast, like we normally do. Okay. But it's been. I've been wrestling with it because. Okay, I've had it twice now, and I really shouldn't have eaten it. I told myself I would not have another one for the rest of the year because it's kind of unhealthy for you. You only got ten days left. <laughs> but it's like it made me really, really happy, and I'll explain more in the end of the podcast. 
So you still got one doctor's appointment, or at least I do. We are not touching it again. Stop it. You're going that way. So that gave me something to look forward to in in addition to dredging. Because keep in mind, all of his doctors are across the border. It's all of his specialists. It's across the border in Chicago. Yeah. So it's not like getting up and just driving a few miles. No, it's like a a thing because, you you know, you got to get up at a certain time. You got to face Chicago traffic. You got to be on the Dan Ryan, um, which is a challenge in itself because usually your appointments are in the morning. So Chicago morning traffic, even during a pandemic, not a pleasant thing. Um, What's an hour between friends when, okay, I'm not the one driving. Exactly. When you're not the one driving is the key part. <laughs> Outside of that, um, and being able to enjoy that rapture, um, things at work are going great. I'm so excited. I actually get, what, it's like Christmas through New Year's off. So basically, I'm off from the 25th to January the 4th, which super psyched about that. So I think I'm just going to spend time... <clears throat> Hanging out at home and snuggling with the fur, hopefully taking the more training classes. He starts training tonight. Everyone, please play for us. because Please pray for us. I cannot stress it enough. I'm about to go find a dog whisperer. Just hand him off and say, hey, Although he's really, fix him. He's better behaved with me than you. I'm kind of weirded out by that. Because I'm the dog walker. <laughs> and it really shouldn't be. And so... Hopefully, once we get him under control, we can both walk him so he doesn't pull my back. But, um, but yeah, I've gotten to a point where I have to wrestle the bastard. <laughs> um, yeah, at work it's winding down because of the holiday, but I'm excited because I'm putting some things in place so my upcoming project will be smooth going. Um, what else? Our dog and cats are finally getting to the point where they can at least, well, one of the cats could be in the same room, although he's trolling them now, which is kind of weird. Oh, you saw about the cat trolling the dog? Yeah, how he lures the dog and they get within like an inch of each other and they'll just sniff and, you know, it's not immediately Armageddon, but then what happens is he runs to the room that the cats normally congregate and... The dog will put his head up near the gate, child gate that we set up with the, it's like a pet door where the cats can get in, but the dog can't get out. That is correct. Or get out. Cats can get out, but the dog can get in. And he'll lure him there and then he'll smack the living shit out the dog. Just kind of walk in like, hey, you put your head through the pet gate yet? Are you looking (laughs) in? Can you see me? (laughs) Whap. I I ain't never seen a cat pimp slap a dog so hard. Dog loves it. Oh my god, he thinks he's playing with them. Well, he doesn't like all those bruises on his face. He doesn't have a lot of bruises. There's just a couple, one or two, where he hit him. But no, the dog and cat, for the most part, they've figured out some weird way to play. Yeah. So yeah, I guess they're roughhousing. Look, we're not going to talk about that. I'm about to call one of my cats <laughs> Slickback. Oh, I'm sorry. No, no. A, a cat, cat named Slickback. Slickback. <laughs> And we're not going to explain that either. Please Google that. It's from the Boondocks. Thank you. <laughs> um, no, but, no, no. You got to say the whole name. <laughs> it's like a tribe called class. That's right. 
Got to say every piece of it. <laughs> it's a cat named Slickback. If a cat named Slickback was a cartoon character, who would voice him? Would it be Cat Williams? That would yes. be too easy. Okay, no, 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 no. Okay. I think it should be Huggy Bear. I think Antonio Vargas should voice Ooh, the cat. Ooh, okay, all right. Yes, dap for that one. <laughs> Howl out to my man, Antonio Vargas. So what else did we do um, in the last couple of weeks? Oh, oh, dude, we ch- we have been checking out some incredible holiday movies. And I say that with a grain of salt because how do I put this? And I'm going to say something that will probably have some of the audience like clutching their pearls. Wait a minute. We got to like, we got to shake the table. This is, <laughs> this is earth shaking for all you ladies out there and some men. I loathe holiday movies. I've I've never okay. <laughs> I've never seen this. It's a wonderful life. I know that's awful. I know I'm in the age group that should see it. I've never seen. Okay, it's a boomer. wonderful life. Um, I'm not a boomer. <laughs> You're older than me. Um, Past eight months. I've never seen all of a sound of music. I just thought it was corny as a child, so I just never bothered. Okay. Um, I'm just in my book. Die Hard is a Christmas movie. It counts as a Christmas movie. The best Christmas movie that was ever made is Gremlins. You <laughs> are a special person. I love Gremlins so much. Gremlins is a Christmas movie. It counts. You know you're in the vicinity of where they set a Christmas story, right? Okay, let me change that. I do love a Christmas story. Okay. And I think it's because it's not so saccharine sweet. It's subversive. And that's just my cup of tea. And that's why I really hate God bless her. I love your I love your sister. She Uh-oh. is amazing. Uh oh. No, no, no. Your sister is amazing. But your sister, I know I drive her crazy every year around this time. No, she drives us crazy. Because she really loves lifetime. And Hallmark Christmas movies. That is like her jam. And she describes it every year. And her DVR I know is full of it. And it literally just. You know how when some like you see a spider. And you get weirded out by it. And it hits the base of your spine. Because it doesn't sit well with your soul. Oh I'm wait, I'm so <laughs> waiting to figure out where this is going. <laughs> that is how Hallmark movies get me. They're like. Everyone is so happy and so cheerful. And there's always like winking and you hear like bells in the background. And they play that obnoxious music to let you know this is the person she's supposed to fall in love with. Fuck that shit. I hate that stuff. I hate it so much. I'm such a Scrooge. I don't know where to go with this. (laughs) So this weekend... We saw two movies that I'm like, it's the perfect anti-lifetime Hallmark movies. And it's now going to be in my rotation every holiday. So one of them is actually a movie that was put out by, of all places, KFC. Kentucky Fried... KFC. (laughs) Kentucky Fried Chicken. You Mm. saw it with me. It was... Okay. KFC, I have to say... I'm not a fan of their food. I've been very open about that. We have talked about that on the podcast. That was all you. You know you're not a fan of KFC. Hey, hey, I'm not knocking down KFC. Every once in a while, 
if you're in a, a bunch and you need some chicken, KFC is there. But KFC is not our first choice. No. In I the mean, in the grand of, scheme of things, yeah, the it's hierarchy, usually Popeyes, no. churches, sharks, and then KFC. Okay. Have I, have I been to KFC a lot in the last? Brona? Span? No. No. Hey, I'm not knocking KFC. Every once in a while, you just need that bucket of chicken to keep you going. I'm just wondering where the 11 herbs and spices are. Sometimes when I taste it, it seems missing. Hey, if you can get by on seven herbs and spices, then <laughs> I'm not knocking on They advertise 11. <laughs> hey, just know I bring my, you know, I bring my spice rack with me. Okay, you don't mind it because you usually hit it up with the spices before you eat it. I'm not afraid. <laughs> it just needs a little um. Well, I usually add sriracha, so I guess I can't say anything. <laughs> See, you're just special. Sriracha is the the cure all. But anyway, so Kentucky Fried Chicken, even though I'm not as big of a fan as other um, franchises out there that serve the same thing, um, they really are brilliant when it comes to marketing. And so for the holidays, a couple weeks ago, what they did is they released a 15-minute lifetime movie called The Recipe for Seduction. The Recipe for Seduction. And it's, it was everything that I hate about lifetime movies, but it was only 15 minutes long, which is about as much time as I could allot to a lifetime movie without really wanting to throw something at the TV screen. That's what her attention span is. <laughs> when it comes to lifetime movies, yes. And that said, I am going to watch some Wendy Williams lifetime movie because that seems like it's the perfect amount of ratchet for me. Is that 15 minutes also? No, it's going to be longer than 15 minutes, but you know it'll be ratchet. Damn. <laughs> you know it will fit the little bit gourmet a lot ratchet of the show. So okay. I am there for that. But outside of that, you guys, if you haven't seen the movie, and you can do so right now, it's on YouTube. Just Google KFC movie, right? Dude, <laughs> Mario Lopez plays Colonel Sanders. <laughs> plays Harlan Sanders. Sanders. Yes. A it very is young Harlan Sanders. A very young Harlan Sanders. It is perfect. He, he has... He has like the fake mustache going on and beard. Yeah. <laughs> he has white hair um dusted through his dark hair. Yeah, I, I would like to give a shout out to whoever gave him the gray highlights. Yes. <laughs> it is so bad. <laughs> oh, but it has everything like kidnapping, bad <laughs> bad dialogue. You know, the fact that she met him and is instantly in love with him two, two minutes later. The stereotypical black gay friend. Yeah, yes. it's perfect. Yes. <laughs> I'm just saying, at least for me, the uh, if I were to give it two snaps, no. I would say that the best things about that movie were the locale. Uh, because they did make you know make it look stylish, and they did for the fifteen minutes. They did have some great uh, screening areas that I would love to hang out in. But for the most part, yeah, dialogue, crap. I have to say though, I give them credit because they played that straight. They did. 
And or try to. It was wonderfully campy because they played it straight. A lot of the people in the background are sitting around like, are we really in a movie? Are we really in a KFC commercial? Yeah. <laughs> it is perfect, though. And I laughed my ass off. And I was like, you know what? May every Lifetime movie, besides Wendy, I want all the ratchet messiness in the William Williams movie. I cannot state that enough. Okay. I say that because I'm not able to get new episodes of Love and Hip Hop. So Wendy's going to have to fill in for that. So okay. girl, the longer, the messier, the better. But outside of that, yeah, that was the perfect length. May every Lifetime movie from here on out be 15 minutes long. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to go ahead and burn this movie down and just say that this was this was the snakes on the plane of Lifetime movies. <laughs> That's hard to say. It delivered exactly what I expected. <laughs> it gave you exactly the right amount of horrible cheese, chimp cheese. You know, you got to turn it into cheese. That's right. You got me going. <laughs> but yeah. But yeah, like, I think it had, what, four actors in the the four or five actors in this thing. Yeah. And they made use of everybody. And I have to say it was brilliant how they chewed up the screen, but um, the scenes, but really it was a fun 15 minutes. So I highly recommend that. And then the other holiday movie that I saw last night, which is just brilliant. (laughs) It's called letters, letters to Satan Claus. Letters to Satan Claus. Yes, Letters to Satan Claus. It's a sci-fi movie, which in and of itself, love that it's a sci-fi movie because I grew up watching sci-fi movies because my dad has a pension and my mom does as well for watching really horribly bad movies. And sci-fi has a partnership with this production company called The Asylum that makes like the worst movies. Like seriously, well. What was that movie with Erica Estrada that we just couldn't stop laughing at? And my mom sent us out the room. It was the Chupacabra one. No, I couldn't tell you. No. <laughs> just Google that. They make what's known as mockbusters. So instead of snakes on a plane, like you mentioned earlier, yep. it's snakes on a train. Instead of the Transformers, there's the Transmorphers. Yes. They're just... God bless them. They're really awful. So if you've seen the one where it's like the five-headed, you know, shark fighting the two-headed dolphin or whatever it is, just know that's an asylum movie. <laughs> okay. Is that kind of like Sharknado? You know, I don't know asylum. I think they made them too. Okay. Which, again, delightfully bad movie. A step above trauma, but delightfully bad movie. And I like trolling movies. Mm -hmm. Sergeant Kabuki Man NYPD was a delight. (laughs) We need to talk about your subversive nature of movie watching. (laughs) I'm telling you, we have talked about a project for a while that highlighting some of the best of the worst that I've seen over the years. And there have been some real stinkers. Look, Sergeant Kabuki Man, I cannot recommend that enough. That's my word of sticking to it. (laughs) Mm -mm. No. So anyway, (laughs) Letters to Satan is a movie that is designed to spoof Hallmark movies. So they have like the unnaturally creepy, happy people that are just like smiling no matter what. 
they have the cheesy music to cue the person that she's supposed to fall in love with. They have the cheesy obsession with all things Christmas, like knitting Christmas smellers and, you know, holiday ornaments. And yeah, it's everything that just makes me want to run through a Hallmark movie like a serial killer. And they do just that. They turn it into a horror movie. So this woman, I don't want to give too much away, but she writes a letter, what she thinks is Santa, but this is before spell check and she's seven. And she wrote a letter to Satan and Satan decided to answer her, her letter. And years later, she did it again. And well, Satan decided to play another visit. He was a busy man. Yeah. So it it was like, it was perfect. It was just like an axe murder going through a Hallmark movie. I couldn't stop watching. It was great. <laughs> I even tweeted them. And some of the stars in the movie tweeted me back. <laughs> I just think it's the best thing that was ever done. So that movie is now going to be in my permanent holiday rotation, along with Die Hard and Gremlins, because Gremlins is a Christmas movie. That's her story, and she's sticking to it. That's right. And now that I say that out loud, I sound like a really horrible person. <laughs> I, as your husband, feel so much... <laughs> I feel so weird since I was born around the holidays anyway. Yeah, I guess maybe this is the time I should also share that Big Daddy's birthday is actually on Christmas Day. <laughs> we ain't got to tell them that. They probably already know that. <laughs> So, in the weird obsession with, like, horror movies on Christmas Day may not be the best thing. But, in my defense, I also watch horror movies the day we got married. I told you that. That is true. I was sitting there watching, like, a random Samuel L. Jackson movie. And what is my wife? I'm sorry, my bride-to-be, you know, on her biggest day of her life. What I saw Gothica and... A Freddy movie, I think. <laughs> it was great. <laughs> my mom came in and she's like, you are the weirdest person ever. But in my defense, I also saw that People Magazine um, wedding special they had. And my sister insisted I watch it. But also, our married life lasts way longer than those people in the wedding. Because it's a movie. No, no, it was like a Lifetime special. So it's like when um, old girl from the the View married her husband. The old girl from the View. I love saying. Are we talking about Star Jones? Yes, it had Star Jones wedding. Like every one of those people in that People magazine um, special, all of them are divorced, with the exception of forty five and his wife. There are so many jokes I can make right now. Yes, exactly. So, see? Watch a horror movie? Extend your marriage. <laughs> <laughs> or, like, keep walking around with your, your head on a swivel because you just don't know what your spouse will do. Hey, all of those horror movies have gotten us through the pandemic. I'm also waiting for the zombie apocalypse. Look, I've watched many a zombie apocalypse. That's how I know to be prepared. 
I don't know where to go with that. <laughs> I am, I'm completely flustered. I'm sitting here thinking, like, <laughs> the things that we need to know about an apocalypse. Don't trust, you know, random, uh, random, uh, Beckys because they will not tell you the truth. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Always wear, what was it? Don't wear heels. Always wear, like, you know, tennis shoes. Exactly. You don't see anybody in The Walking Dead walking around in, like, stiletto heels. Nah, you ready to run. <laughs> I am a black person, okay? We talked about this. When we see people run, we don't even ask questions. We yeah. just run with them. <laughs> you got to be prepared. <laughs> That's right. Always fill up your gas tank. Exactly. And always make sure there's one brother or sister in front of you because, well, we know who's getting killed first. What if it's us, though? Then we need to find somebody else. <laughs> I was going to say the fact that I have been, every time I go to the store, I buy extra something to keep in the cabinet, and we have been using that. Okay. That's what I was going to say as far as being we don't want to encourage the last thing you said because odds are we will be that couple that they put in front of us. Yeah, we don't want to be the Ensign Johnson. Yeah, we don't want to be the red shirts of the Star Trek. That's right. <laughs> okay, so now that we've completely obliterated any semblance of talking about Christmas, why don't we take a break? <laughs> um, give the audience a time to absorb the fact that I really want to run through a lifetime or Hallmark movie with a cleaver and take this, you know, these phone calls from my sister. Wait, can I just also say for the letters to Satan, Satan Claus, one of the characters in the movie, I kid you not, was named Aunt Becky. Yes. Was she wearing like, but uh, what was it called? Was she wearing like, you know, a prison jumpsuit? (laughs) I think this movie was made a while ago. Otherwise, she could have been. But wow. if you ever need to know that this was really a nod to like every Hallmark movie ever made, there was a nod, Becky. This movie, classic. Next year, we're going to host a tweet along. That's going to be our new thing. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. <laughs> and when we come back, we will share three stories um, that... Um, focuses on the intersection of both food and pop culture. And then we'll close out the podcast as we do every show where I get to share with you guys the best thing I ate this week. And it's a good one. So you're listening to the gourmet goober. We'll be right back. Hey, Gooberland, Are you looking for that perfect holiday gift for the foodie in your life? You want to tell that special someone that you truly think they're gumbo worthy? Then you need to go to gooberswag.com and get some goober merch. From aprons to hoodies, t-shirts to mugs, our goober gear is perfect for everyone on your holiday list. So if you know someone who's proud to be a little bit gourmet and a lot ratchet, then go to gooberswag.com and get your own goober gear. Again, gooberswag.com. Check it out today. Hey everyone, this is JJ Outlaw. And T Outlaw. And we are back with the segment of the Gourmet Goober podcast where we examine the intersection that often crosses between food and pop culture that we affectionately call What's Eating Us. 
So these are food um, and pop culture related stories from everywhere from professional journals to the shade room <laughs> that we think that might be interesting to our audience. And the first one is actually something that came across my desk um, just to kind of take a step back before I do what I do now. Um, I spent a number of years working for a professional school of psychology here in Chicago. And so from time to time, I still get journal articles and things that are forwarded to me um, as a result to my time and affiliation with this organization. And so this past week, I got something sent to me that I thought was so funny, I had to let Big Daddy know about it. And it's about a phenomenon that I hadn't heard about, but apparently it's quite common, called foodie calls. Foodie calls. Yes, foodie calls. So if you're not familiar with what a foodie call is, a foodie call, it's just, let's see, how can I put this? So foodie calls tend to be a phenomenon where a woman will go out for a date without any romantic interest in their dinner partner, not for sex, but for a free meal. So it's sort of the opposite of a booty call, as we jokingly like to call those hookup things that um, take place a lot of times. Yeah, like the movie. Yes, like the movie. Yes. <laughs> um, and so this is actually something that appeared recently um, in a journal that... Um, I got it through an organization called SciPost, um, but the journal itself is Social, Psychological, and Personality Scientists. And basically, the author, one of the co-authors, were notified through a Maxim article of all things. So Yeah. <laughs> which I think is hysterical that this very serious article came out of a Maxim column. That's okay. This is definite <laughs> psychological knowledge. So this is actually, again, you know, one day my co-author, Tristan Harig, she said, walk into my office um, with a copy of Maxim and said, do you know what a foodie call is? And she explained the phenomenon. It's when someone agrees to go out for a date to get a free meal. They wanted to know how often this happened. So they interviewed 1,055 self-identified heterosexual women. And the biggest takeaway is nearly a third of the people they talked to, according to this article, mm -hmm. dated someone they weren't attracted to for a free meal. Sounds about right. <laughs> Not only that, but this is where it gets really tricky because they also asked them other questions other than related to have you actually done this? Oh, Lord. And they found that women who score high and doing what's known as a foodie call also score high in what they call antisocial personality traits. They're psychos. Yes. So narcissism, Machiavellianism, and some clinical, subclinical psychopathy. Um, so they're most likely to engage in foodie calls. Oh, Okay. So in other words, participants who agree strongly with foodie calls 
also agree strongly with statements such as, I tend to manipulate others to get my way. I tend to have the other person wake up in a bathtub filled with ice with certain <laughs> organs missing. That was not what the question asked. <laughs> Sorry, I was not expecting you to say that. I tend to have <laughs> random tend- things pop off like I tend to know where the restroom is in the restaurant so I can get out as soon as the check comes. No, they don't ask that. But I tend to expect special favors from others. Uh-huh. Or I tend to lack remorse. Or more ac- likely to engage in greater funny call behavior. And they did ask men. And they said, although men tend to score higher in the dark triad than women, particularly women who traits lean themselves to exploitive or manipulative dating behavior, participate in foodie calls. So would they also be some of these people? I'm not saying all. A few, small percentage. Some of them might have, I don't know, like Kanye said, gold digger-like tendencies. (laughs) You know, it could be. Um, because the article, which you can read yourself, um, it was co-authored by Bar Collinson, Jennifer L. Howell, and Trista Herrick, called Foodie Calls When Women Date for a Free Meal Rather Than a Relationship. <laughs> they do <laughs> describe that these women, although, to be fair, a lot of them know it's wrong that they do it, so it's not like they're not remorseful. They identify it's wrong. But they still do it to get what they want. So. Yeah, I'm thinking if I take the Red Lobster, I I expect things. Well, and and that brings up a good point because it's not like in a lot of dating situations, you don't enter the dating situation without wanting something from the partner in question. Mm -hmm. It just so happens that these women want nothing from you than a good sushi meal. Oh, or wherever they they're going. Yeah. I'm about to say, I'm paying for them little spring rolls. You know, <laughs> you know let's go. You know, I'm at least, you know, at least getting a kiss on the cheek or something. So my question to you is, do you agree with the study? And how often do you think it really happens? Well, since I've had a few minutes to think about this, um, do I agree with the study? I could go either way. I mean, there are a lot of different women and men who go on dates for all different types of reasons. Maybe that they're cute. Maybe that, you know, they, it would help their social status or even their occupational status in some places. But yeah, I'm willing to say, yeah, some people go on foodie calls because, hey, maybe it's just a very nice, Andy, nice, special little restaurant to be in. Maybe it's hard to get in a Nabu. Yeah. You don't know. I can't knock the hustle, but... <laughs> Do I agree with it? Yeah. And do I agree, like, the numbers? Yeah, I'm willing to say that that's about right. It might be higher than we even, that, you know, most of these people would like, what the results say. Okay, here's here's my thought on it. Okay. Okay. <clears throat> do I believe that women do this? Or do I believe that people do this, period? The answer is yes, because, and you and I have talked about this off mic, <laughs> I'm very honest. Our first social interaction. Oh, no. Our first group date 
by this definition, what's a foodie call? (laughs) Our first quote unquote double date. Double date. (laughs) When I first met you. (laughs) And for those of you who haven't heard the story in a previous podcast, here's the skinny of it. We've known each other since college, our freshman year. Yes. Our prospective roommates went out on a date with each other. Hey, I hooked that up. Yes. For whatever reason, you had an interest in my roommate first, but then you thought that she would be better off with your roommate. Yeah, because they were both kind of sleazy. Okay, no, I shouldn't say that. They're not (laughs) sleazy, but they were... They were more free and open than I was. Yes. So for whatever reason, you decided to go along with them on this date. My roommate on the other way. I just, hey. You just tagged along for whatever reason. I know I was brought into it. And I know this sounds horrible. And if this ever gets back to her, she knows what I'm saying is true. Like I care. But I just want to preface that. Okay. Okay. So my roommate, who was white, she told she asked me to come along because her father, she was afraid that with you coming along with the date, that you wanted her to, and her father would not approve with her dating a black man. This is like the first or second time I've heard this, and I'm thinking... What was I supposed to do? Come around the date and carry her bags? Well, okay. I, I'm not going to answer that question because uh-huh. you and I both know we... My roommate my freshman year was kind of an interesting person. Bap it. And she didn't really understand what the role of the roommate was. Space cadet. <laughs> she also wasn't the brightest bulb in the, in the package. That is true. But one of the things about her was her family actually thought that I was there to serve her. They didn't understand that I was a college student and not her concierge. Because they would often call me and treat me as though I worked for them. And I'm just like, mm-hmm. no, nah, you don't pay my tuition. Larry and Shirley do. What's <laughs> that nothing to do with you? So um, anyway, long story short, she wanted me to come and basically be her wingman for you. And I wanted nothing to do with her at that point. And so she told me that if I go, you would get me chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream from Ben and Jerry's. And I was like, hey, I don't want to date this person. I don't want to get to know this person. But if I get a two scoop of chocolate chip cookie dough ice cream, I'm all for that. I'm a broke college student. Let's go. So. Our first technical interaction with each other, which actually ended in an argument, and I never wanted to speak to you again, but life had other plans. (laughs) Bulls fan? That'd be me. Pacers Pacers fan? fan, That would be me. Yes. Talk about basketball. (laughs) Vibrantly. (laughs) Over ice cream, of which I take basic vanilla and... And you got me the chocolate chip cookie dough that I asked for. That's right. Shivers. Holla. <laughs> he paid for it. And That's I right. was happy. <laughs> I handled we it. both got something out of that experience. Now, it's weird that we wound up married to each other all these years later. Because that was not part of the plan. 
No, no, it was not. <laughs> if I could speak about it on the quick, like I met this young lady first and I was intrigued by her and we talked back and forth kind of on the pre-email, uh, pre-text, whatever, um, social media. And <laughs> the days before email. That's right, way back in the day. IRC-ish. But we went on this like get together because I was intrigued by her, but I thought her, my roommate at the time, who was also Caucasian, um, would actually be an interesting case study. You know, I, I was always, I was still feeling him out too, but he seemed like a really cool guy and he seemed like he had the personality to you know, like talk to her. So I was like feeling her out too. So I went on the date just to hang out, just to, you know, be in the vibe, check this out. And then she said, oh, I'm sorry, this young lady said, hey, I have a roommate. You want to hang out? You know, can we all go to Ben and Jerry's? Okay, cool. I don't care. And let me just say, again, it's not that you matched them up because they both were white. Um, you matched them up because you thought their personalities would match better. I and, matched them up because they were both potential freaks. Well, yeah, that was true. Yeah. <laughs> But James, y'all. <laughs> and let us also say that we are still really good friends with your roommate. Yes. We've known that person for years. Um, so he would totally vouch for what we're saying. Yeah, he cool with it. But, <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, we, my roommate and I kind of had a bad relationship to the point where I didn't live with another human being until <laughs> Big Daddy and I we're about to get married <laughs> for the most part um, with a few exceptions where I had no choice. Cause I just, she kind of turned me off to that for a while, <laughs> but yeah, the whole thing was JJ. I, I think you'd like this person and I don't want to date this person. And my father wouldn't approve because he's black. And I'm like, Chad, I don't want that. He's black. He's black. <laughs> I don't want to hang out with you or any of your freakiness. He'll give you free ice cream. Okay, I'm in. That's really how it went down. That's right. My, my, yeah. <laughs> JJ went on the foodie call. So technically, our relationship started with the foodie call. Yes, it did. But to be fair, I was also very open with you. Like, there was, okay, I didn't go into it any expectation that anything romantic would happen with us. And you didn't have that expectation either. So knowing that our relationship started with essentially a foodie call, does that change the way that you see them? Because they make it sound like foodie call people are just these narcissistic evil people. No, I was very honest with it. There was no hiding it. Maybe maybe the, the issue is the actual hiding it. Like pretending that you like the person when all you want is to try their mac and cheese at this restaurant? Mm, I mean, it, it it does depend on the the specs of the ground of how the date was laid out. Right. And what each person, because each person kind of brings to this date a certain amount of expectations. Some of it just want food. Some of it might want be, some of the people might want good food. Or it just might be like one person has a thing. But the other one is kind of, mm, I don't know. We don't know. But at the same time, yeah, it could just be an arrangement. So, 
looking back at your past dates, taking us out of the question, because yeah. again, I'm very open with it. Do you think you've been on a foodie call and not realized it? Yes. Because <laughs> at first I was laughing at this, and then I realized I have been on a couple foodie calls. They're mostly in college, though. Most yes. of them were in college, now that I think about it. Yeah, as as a broke college <laughs> student myself, I was trying to, like, you know, be a chivalrous person. But, yes, my entire freshman year. <laughs> were foodie calls. Were foodie calls. <laughs> Not for me, because I was trying to, like, you know, feel these young ladies out. But at the same time, they pretty much, I, I, I'm willing to say that five dates that I went on my freshman year, easily. We're there for the foodie call. Yeah. Now that I think about it, I think I might have been guilty of this more than once. But I don't necessarily see myself as Machiavellian and evil. I, I feel guilty mm-hmm. <laughs> the thought of doing Although I didn't feel guilty at the time. That's the thing. But true be fair. Yeah, the, the goober was over here gaming fret boys. I'm sitting there like, you know. I'm trying to be a good, nice. Does it make you person. feel better that one of the frat boys I actually left to date you when I realized I liked you? Why, yes. <laughs> I feel very good about that. So that's the thing. I actually left the foodie call for you. <laughs> the circle of life. <laughs> because I'm a, you know, I'm grade A prime beef, baby. <laughs> okay. Yes. Well, again, if you guys want to read the article, which I highly recommend you do, again, the study is called Foodie Calls When Women Date for a Free Meal Rather Than a Relationship. And so if you guys, by the way, have ever been on a foodie call that turned into something more like ours did, let us know. Um, You can drop us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. Or just keep it to your gold digging self. Yes, I, I, I don't see myself as a gold digger, but... I'm not saying she's a gold digger. <laughs> <laughs> don't finish that lie. But she's going for that red lobster, y'all. <laughs> oh, my God. So, moving right along, our second story... Okay, all seriousness here. <laughs> Dang it, now I have the case of the giggles. I need to get them out. <laughs> so, while I'm getting them out, this is actually a story that happened literally just a couple of days ago okay and it involves a very famous chef that people may know um based out of chicago um that was an alumni of top chef her name is stephanie izzard if that name sounds familiar especially for our chicago listeners that's because she is the owner of such great restaurants as girl and the goat duck duck goat which i admit i love duck duck goat and then cabra And so she actually um, did something recently that posted just last week on Thursday, actually, um, that gained a lot of attention. And it led to a conversation about cultural appropriation. And I first learned about this, actually, I I follow Stephanie, but uh, on Instagram, but I've just been so incredibly busy wrapping things up at work for the holidays that I didn't have a chance to see it, but I'm a regular reader of Eater Chicago, which is one of my favorite spaces to get news about food. Um, And it talked about a post, which was actually a sponsored content that was created for the New Zealand Beef and Lamb 
um, organization. And it attracted a lot of attention because she had posted a recipe for bibimbap um, earlier in the week on Instagram. Big bam boom. <laughs> um, it's actually a Korean dish if you're not familiar with it, which is really, really good. It's one of my favorite things. What was it called again? Um, bibimbap. Okay. Um, and it is a photo that was posted um, showing a bowl with beef and topped with cilantro and mint. Now, the dish, which is full of green herbs, according to Eater, it actually looked more like a Thai or Vietnamese dish. It sounds like it was sort of like an amalgamation of pho. Um, but there is a Korean-American chef by the name of Wong Kim. Um, he owns this incredible restaurant, which now I'm obsessed with and I want to learn more about, um, called Kimski, which in itself serves a a fusion between Korean and Polish dishes. And he wrote this really incredible essay, which I encourage everyone to read. Um, and he's posted it on Facebook. In it, he talks about how post her posts, which in her mind, I think from her apology, it's very clear, may seem innocent enough without any cultural context or sign the hallmark um of the dish like crispy charred rice um, really kind of leaves a lot out for the readers and those who try the recipe. But here's the breakdown of his essay and why I think it's so powerful. So he posted his essay on Friday morning and he shared in his essay, his experiences of an immigrant growing up poor in a small apartment in the Rogers, Russ Rogers park. And if you guys aren't familiar, Rogers Park is one of the 77 established neighborhoods in the city of Chicago. Um, we almost moved to Rogers Park, actually. It's really a gorgeous place. Yeah. He said he accounted racism, um, enduring taunts for bringing Korean food to school, and while grilling food during picnics in the park. Now, the food he talks about in, in his essay really gave him a sense of pride that he couldn't celebrate publicly until white mainstream accepted Koreans, he explained. The line that really stuck with me, and I'm glad that Eater picked it up as well, was he was talking about the embarrassment, the frustration, the shame I felt for something that I grew up eating almost every day up to this point was something I felt shame for. He said, I would struggle with this for a long time. Now, to be fair, he never used the word cultural appropriation as he talked about the stories about how his mother fed the family. He didn't want her to be canceled. He didn't want her to, to really, you know, get fired or anything. His concern wasn't the fact that anyone cooked food from another culture. Because again, his restaurant, which he cooks for, specializes in both Korean and Polish cuisine. So again, that in and of itself wasn't the issue. What the issue was, was that because she mislabeled this dish as something that is a traditional dish, readers may come away with, or the audience may come away with a different connotation as to what this food actually should entail, one. And he pointed out that for a lot of white chefs with an audience, they do have a history of mislabeling international foods. And it's something that particularly 
Black and Indigenous people of color chefs like Kim, who grew up eating their favorite dishes almost in secrecy, trying to avoid being bullied from classmates and people who aren't used to different smells, because they don't have the same opportunity to share their stories because they don't have access to those spaces a lot of times. It's especially compared to, you know, the Wolfgang Pucks of the world, for example, who have that huge platform and they can share a disc without having a connection to it. Mm-hmm. They can really benefit financially off a culture without investing the time, the understanding, the inspiration of the dish. He also points out, as this Eater article does as well, which again, I recommend reading the Eater article. It's really well done. It talks about how um, Black and Indigenous people of color chefs often struggle to find opportunities in the industry. And believe it or not, they're often criticized for cooking their own food because they're seen as, oh, well, this is lazy. You're doing something that your family has done for hundreds of years. Whereas chefs, when they quote unquote discover the food, Mm. they make it exotic and they get, you know, basically celebrated for doing something, inserting a trend being revolutionary. Right. So so it's almost like in a different context. And I, you and I, when we had our production meeting, we were talking about the story. It sort of ties into a memory I had when I was a child. And this isn't food related because um, I don't have a food related experience. But growing up as a little girl where I did, um, I spent part of my childhood in a neighborhood which was a beautiful neighborhood, but it was mostly black and it was formed by redlining back in Indianapolis. And you could tell, cause you could have, there were just like people of all different economic backgrounds and, you know, doctors and lawyers and, you know, reverends and people like that. But it was very clearly formed by redlining. And so me wearing my hair in corn rolls where my mom took the time and she did it and she put like little beads on it. That used to, I used to love that so much. It gave me such joy. And then when I moved to a neighborhood where we were the only one of two black families there and I wore my hair in a traditional cornwall setting, I remember being picked on and my classmates not understanding it. For some reason, someone had told some of my classmates that when your hair is in cornrows, you can't wash your hair. So not only like the students, but I had grown ass adults basically inclining that I was dirty because I wore my hair that way. And it went on for a very long time to the point where even though it was something that gave me pride and I had books where people um, had their hair in corn rolls and things like that. And I knew the connection to, you know, how that connects to our ancestries and things like that, how, you know, during different times, corn rolls were used as a way to kind of guide people to escape during slavery and things like that. It's more than just a style. True. And I finally decided that I would no longer wear my hair like that when I was in sixth grade. Um, when we did We Are the World, like we all limp synced it for some crap that we filmed at school. And I remember distinctly I was told that I had to be Stevie Wonder and I didn't want to be Stevie Wonder. Stevie Wonder was a man. 
And they're like, no, you have to be because you have that crap in your hair. That's what the teacher told me. That crap in your hair. Yeah. And I just remember going home and asking my mom, I said, I want my hair straightened. And she goes, you know, she's thinking like, you want the hot comb? And I'm like, no, no, I want to relax her. And that's when I first started wearing my hair and relax. And some of my other black classmates, they start doing it the same way around that time. And I regret that so much because my hair was never the same after that. And just the idea that I felt that deep shame and something that was a source of pride for me, you know, because getting your hair cornrow, it took a long time. Mm-hmm. And usually you would tell stories and my mom would like talk about her childhood and things like that. So it was always like something incredible for me to experience or when other people did it as well. You know, some of the older people who would do it. It it was more than just getting your hair done. It was like, you know, a transfer of like information. And, you know, it was, you know, it took a bit of three hours to get it done. It was not an easy thing. And so years later, to see people like Kim Kardashian, when remember she did her boxer braids? Ah, yes, her <laughs> quote-unquote boxer braids. And you see her and her sisters get celebrated for something that I'm just like, one, they're not called boxer braids, they're cornrows. They've been mm-hmm. cornrows for decades. They've been cornrows for centuries. That's what they're called. And then secondly, she charged people through her app to, <laughs> to know how to do it. And it made me think because a good friend of mine, she wanted to get her daughter's hair in cornrows and she couldn't find a place to do them. And she was calling around and the woman corrected her. Hmm. It was a black woman, my friend, and she called to this one place. She goes, Oh, you mean boxer braids? And my friend hung up before she went off on her because she's like, I know she didn't. Those are not boxer braids. It's like, oh, no, you didn't. Oh, no. <laughs> what you're not going to do is like resell and repackage my culture back to us. That's not right. So I, I get where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's something that's deeply personal and the disappointment how people, um, didn't really understand it. Now, again, his um, essay, it's not very long, but it's very personal. Yes. Um, and he got a lot, unfortunately, he got some really sniping feedback from some people who didn't really get the comments. And again, he said, I don't want her canceled. I want, don't want her to stop making money. It's just some of the stuff really resonates and I want you to know why it's hurtful. And there was one person I do want to call out where um, he's an, a chef by the name of Max Mora and he responded to his essay. He said that it's virtue sig- signaling what he's doing. Signaling. All right, say it again. Virtue signaling. So That's he's basically saying, you don't really feel that way. You're just trying to do that for clicks or whatever. Okay. And then he made a point, which I think is very telling. He said in his comments, Koreans have assimilated. Take it or leave it. But this is long-winded whining. Sorry, you had it tough growing up. I'm Jewish. They snickered at us too. Get over it. 
And I guess that's the part that he missed that just made it all the more telling. The idea that you have to assimilate in order to to be accepted. Yeah. Okay. And I, I think that's really telling because I know for me personally as you know, a black woman, I, I think what I took even as a child when I was talking about my hair was the fact that I have to assimilate to be a certain way to be accepted by my classmates, by the teachers, by the people. It wasn't enough that I was in school and I was equal to everybody else. No, you have to look a certain way. And the pressure to eat certain things, the pressure to fit in so there's not any differences Max, by virtue of saying that one line, basically proved Kim's point. Yes. And why that's so very hurtful. I I remember when I came back to school after getting my hair relaxed, and I had classmates come up to me. I had other people come up to me. Oh, you look amazing. You look so much better. I had teachers. That was the part that get me, looking back, that there's teachers who are like, Oh, as if to say, now you're okay. But I was okay before with the cornrows. Just like Kim was okay eating the food that gave him comfort and something that was part of his heritage. Correct. So what Max was saying was the idea that you really shouldn't complain because we accept you now and you have to come into the fold. Thank you. So I know I've talked a lot about this because, again... I have a lot of thoughts about it, but what do you think about that? I mean, what he was. Well, I want to jump on a soapbox or, you know, start dragging people. And I will not sit here and be an apologist for uh, Stephanie. That being said, there are a million different things, billions of different ingredients, different ways of cooking something. And whether or not you all think it comes from the cooking channel or food network or some other like random blog, um, a recipe box. The thing is that there are a lot of different ways to integrate food. Some of it has been assimilated. Some of it has been adjusted, but that being said, everyone has a, a way of doing something. Everyone kind of has a way they grew up something that they know. And, the assimilation is so biting that I think it's, I understand that, you know, Stephanie apologized and I, me being me, like I would accept her apology because she honestly thought, you know, this is how, you know, to do it. That being said, you know, for Max and other, and his response, you can assume, you can, you know, talk this all you want just because of, you know, the way you grew and how you had to assimilate. But the way the Yang, like, kind of put his out there, there is a way of saying this, but the best I can say is this. Respect. Respect the culture. Respect the way that this person put together their dish, their way of life, their hair, 
their motivation, the way they dress. There's nothing wrong with saying like, okay, for the sake of non-distraction or the way of doing this right, you know, maybe we can do it one way or another, but there's got to be a respect for culture. And if you don't respect cultures outside of yourself or those around you, then we're, we're just back at, the, you know, at the original place of where we started from. And this is all horse shit anyway. And to be clear, it's her <clears throat> apologize. And she I'll did. read her apology in a moment. Um, people who are defending her also pointed out that she helped organize a gala to raise money um, for an anti-racism charity earlier in December. Um, so on one hand, and maybe it might be helpful to read the apology now before we go any further. Okay. Because she said, she actually went on the statement on her Instagram and said, this was a misstep on my part that spun out of the control and I'm sorry. I originally, when I was originally brainstorming recipe ideas for this project, I thought of this dish as an inspiration and jotted the recipe down as that. From there, the recipe went through many variations and channels and ended up something very far from the traditional. I should have made sure the name was changed before it went out to the public, and I apologize it wasn't. It was since changed to Strip Steak Rice Bowl. I'm not a traditional chef, and nearly all of my f- dishes are inspired by flavors from around the world that I love. Okay. This Ooh. experience has helped me realize that I need to be very careful and thoughtful in how I refer to dishes, and I will make sure I do so in the future. And I think that's the key because one of the other comments that came out from this, remember she has three restaurants, right? Um, She has Girl and the Goat, Duck Duck Goat, and then Cabra. Cabra is a Peruvian restaurant that she opened. And the word Cabra has several meanings, including goat, which again... It's very much in tight with her brand. Yes. However. She likes goats. Cabra is also a slang word for bitch in Spanish. Cool. (laughs) I learned something new today. (laughs) So when Seattle chef Eric Rivara writes that Izzard needs to put more thoughts behind her actions, he pointed out this stain-owned brand to open a Peruvian restaurant called Cabra and not realizing that that's also a slang for the word bitch in Spanish might be a little problematic. Maybe she knew it and was being ironic. <laughs> I'm not really sure if that was the case. <laughs> we don't know. And to be fair, we don't know. We don't know. Um, in any event, you know, she's, this is something that she's addressed before. Like in the case of a proven restaurant, she said, I'm not trying to be authentic in any form. I'm not Peruvian. I don't think I can make Peruvian food as well as anyone in Peru. Um, and she's got critic criticizing where, you know, she has like, she does, she has like a taco stand at the United center. I think we saw that when we went yes. to go see the all-star game, the rookie game where she landed a lucrative deal for doing a taco stand where a, someone of Latinx descent would have the same opportunity. And she also has Duck Duck Goat, which I've had before, and it's really good, but it's a Chinese-inspired restaurant 
and she was able to open it with a Jane's Beard winning Boca restaurant group. So, so how is Stephanie's goat? <laughs> I've not had her goat, but I had had a lot of the stuff at the Duck Duck Goat, and it is really tasty. How's her duck? <laughs> Actually, very good. There you go. <laughs> so the point I'm trying to make is having um, the opportunity for everyone to tell their stories. And I know we had touched upon this before, but since this is such a timely issue, I thought it might be interesting to talk about it again. In closing, I do also want to point out that Izzer's camp also asked for Kim's contact information, saying that they wanted to connect with him for a conversation. Kim said no. He said... Uh-huh. Izzard knows how to find him, and he's not interested in pandering. He said, I have nothing to say to her. She realizes her mistake. That's all I wanted. Okay. So, again, very interesting kind of how that worked itself out. But um, I, I definitely give honors to Kim for telling his truth. And hopefully it'll start some really great discussions on why everyone needs to be invited to the table. Um, and kudos to him because again he doesn't want her canceled he doesn't want her to stop making money he just wants to make sure that people know the story behind something um, that she put out he wants that respect put on his name very true One, but I want to find Max and shake him down Ugh. I don't think Max will be our friend after what we said Mike but that's okay <laughs> but no Max we don't have to assimilate Okay. there you go so in closing out the podcast, um, this section of the podcast, I do want to share our third story, which we have found to be a source of much amusement this past week. And this is with a warning. That is for those of you who eat Chick-fil-A. And to be fair, I like Chick-fil-A, but as I said on the show before, because of their anti-LBGTQ um, policies that the owners have, I'm not one who indulges in the product. If you do, do you. I love their waffle fries. I'm not going to judge. That's just something that I've made. That said, be very careful if you indulge with them because their sauce comes with a price. Their sauce comes with a price. (laughs) And that is something that it's being spread throughout the internet that Chick-fil-A sauce Polynesian sauce packets have a propensity for exploding on people. They go boom. <laughs> they go boom, exactly. That's right. <laughs> boom goes to dynamite. So if you've got a secret stash of Chick-fil-A sauce packets at home, you may want to use them before it's too late because social media users are taking to places like Reddit and Twitter and other places to share something, particularly about Chick-fil-A's Polynesian sauce which is their sweet and sour flavor. According to some diners, the sauce packet have been known to blow up on people. Well, <laughs> okay. it doesn't go like, you know, <laughs> boom, like, you know, you're, you're going to die from it. Okay, let me just say, you're right. It's not like everything is going to just burn down the house, literally. <laughs> yeah, this isn't a MacGyver, like, you know, Jack whatever like 24 type issue yeah if you're like kidnapped for someone and you need to fend off those kidnappers you have a packet that's not gonna help you that said you may want to use it because 
there have been people who have been reporting for some time that the packets themselves explode. So they pop open and they get over everything. So this is not a new phenomenon. I mean, there's been people who have been talking about this as far back as 2014 on Twitter. But it's really kind of gained um, interest over the past week where people are not quite sure what makes the sauces explode. They do have to be on a range of conditions where they sit for a while. They have to sit alone in a corner by themselves quietly. Yes. Okay. <laughs> so this actually... Um, First got people's attention. The attention itself has been renewed. Um, back on December 8, there was a Reddit user who posed a question on the Chick-fil-A subreddit. Does anyone find that Chick-fil-A's Polynesian sauce eats through the packaging after a few weeks? The Redditor, whose name is Shan Nitrov, he usually keeps sauces in a food bag, in a plastic bag, and he notices that it's the Polynesian sauce that tends to leak over the other sauces. Okay. So, <laughs> this is cute. He actually keeps his bag of seizure sauce stashed in his bedroom. And he said it's not close to any windows. And the room is always cool. And things go boom. <laughs> so, other users quickly jumped in. And there's someone who said, I've had it several times where they're stocking. I worked for Chick-fil-A. And when stocking the poly sauce, I've always found it randomly exploding in boxes. I guess that's how it is. Now, apparently, there is a secret. There's a secret? So if you wanted to keep it from blowing up on you, you have to keep it in the fridge. And there's one person in particular who worked for Chick-fil-A who said that if you don't keep it in the fridge, you gotta use it within two weeks. Because otherwise, they just pop off. Now, I can say that news organizations like the Today Show, for example, they actually reach out to Chick-fil-A. They haven't heard a response yet. So well, as I'm of, sure they probably didn't because at the taping of this show is a Sunday and thus Chick-fil-A is not open. Well, okay, that is true. <laughs> You're probably not going to hear a response today. No. <laughs> but... This is of a concern, though, because Chick-fil-A recently announced that they're going to be selling their sauces in stores. And so... Hope this in the refrigerator section. <laughs> in April, they're looking to sell it um, nationwide. Um, so right now, you can buy their signature sausage in Alabama, Florida, Georgia, Louisiana, and Mississippi. But in early 2021, you should be able to go to your local grocery store and pick up your own Polynesian variety sauce. My question is, would you try it knowing that the sauce could blow up? I mean, how do they do that if they don't sell it out within two weeks? Does it come with a warning label? Yeah, I was like, <laughs> we're going to talk about the bottling of your, <laughs> yeah, of your, uh, your sauces. The sauce is like a happy fun ball. Yeah. Do not taunt the sauce. Do not run around and, you know, throw sauce at each other. Do not, like, you know, kind of like in Ghostbusters, don't cross the streams. Which and, is kind of scary. And if you guys don't know, Happy Fun Ball was a sketch that was a toy 
um, that was fake advertised on SNL. Well, it was back in the 90s, wasn't it? Yeah, it was fairly early. It was a long time ago. And so there's these people dressed up as kids and it's happy. It's fun. It's happy fun ball. And so you're like, yeah, I want to get one. It's only $14.95. You can totally get one. And then it comes with a warning. The warning label is... <laughs> the warning label is next level. So that pregnant women, the elderly, children under 10 should avoid prolonged exposure to happy fun ball. Happy fun ball may also accelerate to dangerous speeds. It has a liquid core, which if exposed to rupture, should not be touched, inhaled, or looked at. Do not use happy fun ball on concrete. Discontinue use of happy fun ball if any of the following occurs. Itching, vertigo, dizziness, tailing and extremities, loss of balance of coordination, slurred speech, temporary violent blindness, profuse sweating, or heart palpitation. If happy fun ball starts to smoke, get away from it immediately mm-hmm. and seek shelter and cover head. This is my favorite. The happy fun ball may stick to certain types of skin. <laughs> oh. <Oof. laughs> when not in use, happy fun ball should be returned to a special container and kept under refrigeration. Yes. Fair to do so make reliefs of makers of happy fun ball. I can't read it, it'll make me laugh. Okay, so anyway, <laughs> this makes me think that Polynesian sauce Polynesian sauce is like might happy be inside fun ball. the happy fun ball. Oh my god, I think we found the secret. <clears throat> because the next part of the script is ingredients of happy fun ball includes an unknown glowing green substance which fell to earth presumably from outer space. And Happy Fun Ball has been shipped to our troops in Saudi Arabia and it's being dropped to a warplanes. I'm sorry, what? It's being dropped by warplanes. Okay. Do not taunt Happy Fun Ball. That's right. Do oh not God. taunt Happy Fun Ball. Oh my God, Polynesian sauces in Happy Fun Ball. <laughs> we now know what they did with the rest of the Happy Fun Ball sauce. Yes. Of course. Now, if <laughs> I could take liberty in saying that Polynesian sauce is actually pretty decent. I like it. I do admit that during the chicken wars, even though, of course, I would believe that Popeye's, for the time being, has won the chicken wars with their sandwich. From time to time, since I tried a couple of different versions I did uh, hit Chick-fil-A a few times and pick up some of their stuff. I love the barbecue sauce. But I do have some... some. I did take some Polynesian sauce and or sometimes some barbecue sauce. And I would actually put it on my Popeye's chicken sandwich. I oh, know my God. I, Wait, you mixed it? Yes, I mean, I did cross the streams. <laughs> well, you obviously survived, so... Yeah, so I'm still alive. My stomach is still intact, but yes, it was actually, the Polynesian sauce was actually pretty decent. I liked it. Now, that being said, I also now have a major concern. This? Because this is the middle of towards the back end of December. This is what, the ninth, tenth month of the pandemic? Mm-hmm. In my office drawer, there are some sauce packets. No, not Polynesian sauce. I'm not saying that it's Polynesian <laughs> sauce. 
but I don't know. In my office drawer, there are some sauce packets. And I'm sure some of them are from Chick-fil-A. Now, are they probably using sauce? I don't know because I haven't been there in almost 10 months. I haven't checked. And I'm willing to say that I like I, I like to believe I have a steel cabinet. But we don't know what's in the bottom of that steel cabinet right now. Okay, so if you have, I can't say where you work because I don't let people know. Yeah. But if you're in that space, <laughs> go in with hazmat suits. Be very careful. Do not talk the packets off. I'm going to walk in there with like my special, special gloves. <laughs> Okay, so now that we know that Chick-fil-A will never be our sponsor, <laughs> again, please be careful with the Polynesian sauce, folks. Yes. You may get an unfortunate surprise, like Big Daddy will when he eventually goes back to the office. No. Mm. I wonder what would happen if you got in the middle of food by news, Polynesian sauce, packages, projectiles. I'm telling you, it's probably not going to get you out of... I mean, look, can you throw it as, like, Molotov cocktails? Probably not. But you know that sucker's going to get on their clothes, and you might annoy them. It is very hard to get that sauce off. Well, yeah. I guess any of, the, any of the sauces that they have. It's hard to get that off your clothes once it hits. That is true. Don't ask yeah. me how I know that. I would also like to say for the people <laughs> of Chick-fil-A, you know, I guess it depends on the store that you, or the restaurant you go into. Why are y'all so stingy with those packets? You know, some of the ones I go to, like, you know, it's like in a nice little pant, like, you know. Maybe like it's a, a safety cabinet. precaution because they know it explodes. Yeah, because I'm thinking like some of them, like, you know, you can get in like a little cabinet right here. But some of the ones you go into, you have to literally beg them for the sauce. It's a safety precaution. As a safety precaution. I'm just surprised they don't ask you to sign a waiver. <laughs> that makes you wonder. Things that make you go. Hmm. <laughs> so we're going to take a break. I'm going to try to get rid of the giggles. And then when we come back, we will wrap things up with the best thing we ate this week. So we're listening. Wait a minute. We're, we, you are listening <laughs> you to are- the Gourmet Goober and podcast. We'll, and we'll be right back. <laughs> Do you know who struggles with creating ideas? People who are actually creative. But do you know what really sucks about being a struggling creative? It's that frustration of starting a new skill, the unbearable phase of being stuck with new ideas, and of course, never knowing when or even how to make a profit from your ideas. You know that feeling, being a jack of all trades, but master of none. Well, the Conscious Creative Corner podcast is the podcast where real creatives share their secret formulas on how to be irresistibly profitable in their field. So that way you can be a jack of all trade and a master of your money. So if you're ready to leave behind the frustration and exhaustion of not knowing how to live profitably, head on over to the Conscious Creative Corner podcast, where you can gain the skills you need to be a successful magnetic creative. Find it now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Anchor FM. Hey everyone, we're back. This is JJ Outlaw. 
Dante Outlaw. And we're back with the last segment of the Gourmet Goober podcast, where we share the best thing we ate this week. These are stores, um, like franchises, local chains, you know. Random restaurants. Random restaurants, hole in the walls, you name it. Just places that we were really blessed to actually try. And we will give you all the details in the show notes so you can try it yourself. So, um, Big Daddy, you want to go first? I always go first. Well, maybe this time you didn't want to. I don't know. <laughs> well, you okay. always go first, so there you go. That's right. Get the foolishness out of the way first. <laughs> no, mine actually this week is very simple. Uh, the Gruber uh, took a stab at a random delivery that came to the house uh, to try. And for some reason, after taking a few bites, I uh, kind of fell in love with it. Um, bear with me. Uh, it is called a babka. Yes, it is called a babka. And I got it from Oneg Bakery. Um, it's actually a bakery that's out of Brooklyn. BK. Um, New York. It was named by New York Magazine is the base, um, one of the best babkas in the city and it's gotten a lot of press from <clears throat> places like new york times and um serious eats and just a lot of places in particular it's so good i'm glad you like it i was worried that you wouldn't like it yeah at first i was concerned i wouldn't like it either but for some reason it came across very functional like it, it was sweet. It had a nice underlying like notes, you know, throughout. Right. And like from the first bite to the last bite, it, it actually filled me up pretty quickly just for a small loaf. Well, let me just let's take a step back for okay. our listeners who may not be familiar. So, babka is a type of glazed sweet bread. Um, that originated in Jewish communities, particularly those of Poland, um, Polish or Ukrainian descent. It's also very popular um, in Israel as well. And what it is, again, it's it's sort of like a cross between a cake and the bread. Yes. Um, and this one, you can get it, by the way, with different things in it. So there's some that would dry fruit. Um, there's some with cinnamon. Um, this one in particular, the one I ordered was a double chocolate babka. Um, mm -hmm. Again, by Oneg Bakery. Yes. And it is like insanely rich. So if you, first of all, if you slice it, you can see the dense layers um, that make up with it. So it is full of... Um, it's a Hungarian loaf of braided dough, and it's layered with a mix of Dutch cocoa and sugar um, that just forms like a nice little loaf. And it's like amazing. Like, you know, when you cut a slice and oh, and it has like that incredible crust on it. Yes. Which is really, really cool and delicious. It's kind of like dusted um, cocoa and sugar on the crust. So it's sort of like bread, but when you warm it up, it actually has like almost a molten chocolate type um, density to it. Um, 
It is really, really delicious. I ordered it because I'm a fan of goat belly, which I think I talked about previously on the, on the podcast. It's a site that you can go that you can try different foods from across the United States. And I'm a fan of it as well because many of these are restaurants that are really struggling to find an audience with the pandemic. And they're finding new places, people for them to discover them through Gold Belly, where you can go on this site, you can isolate it by region, you can isolate it by type of food. So if you just want to look at pizzas, you can. If you just want to look places in New York, you can. And you can order up these pre-made packets that are shipped to you. Okay. So I um, had like this ridiculous coupon. Remember when we sent my mother that um, deep dish pizza from Gold Belly she likes so much? Yes. So I got like this good, not Good Friday, um, like Cyber Monday coupon to use where it was like half off. And then they also had stuff on shelf with free shipping. And <laughs> I was just like, oh, I got to just pick something random. And I don't know why the Oneg Bakery catch caught my eye, but the Bapwa looked really, really good. And so I just ordered it. Um, the great thing is it freezes really well. It does. So if you're like us and you don't want to eat it all in one slice, you can just um, store it properly like you would a loaf of bread and put it in the freezer. Don't think I wouldn't try. <laughs> it's actually very functional with whipped cream on top, too. Oh, I didn't try that. Mm-hmm. Ooh. I'm going to have to try that. Also, with your, you know, the one we have, I sprinkled a little cinnamon and a little ginger on top. Kicked How much it. of that have you been eating? So anyway. <laughs> you okay. might have a loaf in the freezer. You might not. I'm going to have to check the freezer. <laughs> Glad you liked it. <laughs> but yeah, if you like it yourself, um, if you're local, and again, I will put a link to the bakery. You can check it out. Um an amazing feat and it's you know this bakery that has all the kudos and it well deserves it for its babka um in brooklyn um but yeah i'm totally glad you like that i did yeah i've had babka i was first introduced to that um when i was a little kid um there is a jewish bakery that my dad used to go to called um what was it shapiro's and you go to Shapiro's for their insane, insane sandwiches that are so good. But occasionally dad would bring like sweetbreads and other things because he wanted us to be familiar and try it. Mm. And so they used to, from what I remember, had really good babka. Um, and I just, maybe that's what made me think of it. Because I haven't had a slice of babka and a good slice in at least 20 to 30 years. It's been a long time. Um, but I'm very glad I ordered from that place. So cannot recommend them enough. It was good. Yes. And now I have to check and see if there's any left for me. <laughs> there might be. <laughs> but you don't know. Well, my best thing we ate this week that I alluded to earlier is something that you can get um, in a restaurant chain called Capriotis. It is called the Bobby Sandwich. The Bobby? The Bobby. B-O-B-B-I-E. Bobby. I'm obsessed. I'm, 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 I'm obsessed. Yes. With the Bobby sandwich. 
I'm actually ashamed because it tastes way better than it sounds like on a piece of paper. It is the most incredible sandwich ever. So what it is. <laughs> it's like Mariah Carey. Why are you so obsessed with me? <laughs> Please don't laugh, people. But what the Bobby is, it's a sub sandwich. And it's made with turkey, sliced turkey, or shredded turkey, cranberry sauce. Cranberry sauce. It has a layer of stuffing. Stuffing. <laughs> and mayo. <laughs> and you don't like mayo very often. I hate mayo. I'm very judgmental about stuffing because mm-hmm. I think my mom's stuffing's the best. But I don't know why all of this just works together. And it's Nirvana. <laughs> it's so good. Yeah, she hits the sandwich <laughs> pretty hard. So... I first became familiar with the Bobby. Um, There is actually a version of the Bobby um, that is served at a restaurant called Wawa's. And I used to work in a nonprofit where I had um, student volunteers work for me. And one of my volunteers. Slave interns. They were not slave interns. Don't say that. Like I work for them. Like I care. (laughs) But anyway. Um, she is from the, um, the Philly area and she would tell me about a similar sandwich that was at Wawa's that she really loved. Um, when we used to talk about food. So cut to years later, we, um, or of course, um, during the pandemic, we're going back and forth to the doctor's office. I noticed that they opened up a Capriati's, which is a um, Delaware-based sandwich shop, which has locations throughout the country. So hopefully there's one near you. And every time I stop by, I would eye the sandwich. They're known for um, the Bobby. It's their most popular sandwich. But they also have really great Philly cheese sandwiches and things like that. And I usually stay with the Philly cheese side of things. Mm-hmm. I don't know what possessed me about a month ago. I, I told the man is we were getting the sandwich together. I was okay. You know what? I'm feeling kind of bold today. I'm going to try the Bobby. So you can either get it cold or hot. I got it hot. I was kind of skeptical. <laughs> it was so good. We wound up pulling over <laughs> in the parking lot. Cause I took a nibble as I was driving and I was like, no, I'm going to have to finish this. This is so good. <laughs> <laughs> and we just I just had my feel. I, I think I made you even take a bite of it. Did I? I don't no, remember. Didn't. No, you did not share. I talked about sharing it. You talked about it, but No no, I offered sharing. it to you, but you didn't want it. No. That's what happened. Was, nah. No. <laughs> no, I was like Jennifer was like, Did you want something? Like, no, because I already had I was <laughs> I was actually eating a Philly at the time. And I'm like, no, no, no I'll, I'll get to it. You know, like when I get done. By the time I got done, she was done. It was. And I have been dreaming about the sandwich ever since. It is seriously, it's way better than it should be. It's so good. And so when we went to the doctor again last week, I was like, okay, I'm not going to stop at this place. I'm not going to stop at this place. We're driving back. We're crawling. We're driving over the Skyway, and I look at you, and I'm like, we're stopping at Capriati's. 
It pans a butt. She literally like me a beeline. I can't. I'm like, I know we need to make it home. I know I need to log on for work. I know I have all these responsibilities. Fuck all of that. We're getting a sandwich. Yeah, I want you to tell your work, you know, your employer that. I'm just kidding, if you're listening. Yes. <laughs> but no, seriously, no joke. It is the, is it healthy for you? No, it is not. It's carb heaven. And I don't really know why it's so good. Like I said, I hate mayo, but I can't eat it without the mayo. The mayo just sets it off. I mean, it's like hella carby. And I think it's because it really is, with the exception of spicy, it really is like umami on a sandwich. Okay. Because it's the perfect marriage of sweet and salty and savory. So it's a good balance. I wonder if what adding jalapeno would be though. What would happen mm. if like you were to take your mother's dressing and put it on the Bobby? Oh my god. I would just melt. <laughs> I don't know what to say about this. <laughs> I don't know what I would do. It was just oh my god. My mouth is watering right now thinking about it. <laughs> no. This is actually the best sandwich I've had this year. I will actually name the Bobby the best sandwich I've had this year. So okay. she has like a year-end sandwich now. We should. Well, I We've talked know. about a lot of places that we've had a chance to have the best thing we ate this week. You know, maybe we should do that. Yeah, but we'll talk about it in 2021. Yes. <laughs> so, again... To the great people of Capriotis, thank you for creating such an audacious sandwich that I'm dreaming about even now. <laughs> I'll put it in the show notes so you can have one yourself. Um, I know that people push for you to have it cold. Please have it warmed up. I do recommend eating it hot. It will change your life. It is that good. Okay. <laughs> and on that note, Big Daddy, where can they find you? <laughs> You can find me over in the corner behind a trash can. <laughs> Wondering why she didn't share the sandwich. <laughs> Wondering why she did not share this sandwich. <laughs> but that's cool. They, Capri is also make some pretty decent chili, uh, cheese sticks. Yeah, I cannot recommend their cheese sticks enough. And you can actually get their cheesecakes made with Wagyu beef. Ooh. Wait a minute, I missed this part. Hold Fancy. on. Fancy. Yeah. Hold on. Hold up. Wait a minute. <laughs> reel up, reel up. Bring it back on rewind. With Wagyu beef. I did? Yeah, the first time. And I missed this? I, okay. I'm I'm not tickle a ride Capriari's again. <laughs> but nonetheless, you can find me, that'd be me, the Dark Desperado, T Outlaw, on Twitter at T Outlaw, T O U T L A W. You knew I was gonna spell it because <laughs> it's the end of the year. And you can also find me on Instagram at T Outlaw. Chelsea Wells, like the movie. You can always... Um, you, where can we find you, Gourmet Goober? <laughs> Sorry, I was distracted by the idea of going to Capriotis again. Um, uh-uh. You can drop us a line at thegourmetgoober at gmail.com. You can always reach me on Twitter at JJOutlaw on... <laughs> sorry. On um, Instagram at Gourmet Goober. And... We, we just want to take this opportunity because this is going to be the last podcast 
of 2020. We are taking a break and we are going to come back with a new episode. I think we said on January 26th. Okay. Of um, So we're taking our winter break just to kind of renew and refresh and enjoy watch the holidays. 2020, like, you know, that is the dumpster fire burnout. Yes, absolutely. Want to make sure that you know, transitions and everything go as planned on January the 20th, like the rest of you. So (laughs) we're going to take our um, annual break and then we'll be back with all new stuff. Um, In the meantime, on behalf of Big Daddy and I, we want to say thank you so much for listening to the Gourmet Goober this year. Um, We really are um, excited that you've shared this journey with us and going to continue. Yes. Going into the holidays. We hope everyone stays safe. Um, wear your mask, <laughs> distance where you can. We're going to all get out of this together. And we're just really excited for what we have planned for 2021. So here's the thing about 2021. We enjoy you as listeners, and we would hope that if you enjoy us, or even if you really don't, if you just want to mock us, hey, we'll take it just as long as you bring readers. <laughs> or I'm sorry, listeners. So bring this. Bring friends. Yeah. Tell you a know. friend if you enjoy listening to the Gourmet Duver. Tell a friend if you want to read us. Um, you can go to like Apple Podcasts or Stitcher and drop us those ratings. Um, Check out can, the swag. Yeah. You can go to gooberswag.com. You know, you can, on every podcast, you may notice that there's a little thing that says support this podcast by clicking here. So if you want to put five on it, you can. <laughs> Just so you know, we are working on a Patreon. I've been asked that before. So we're hoping to roll that out relatively soon. And also, in the meantime, we're coming up with new programming and new stuff um, that'll come out through Through Plum Good, including something really cool that we're hoping to do relatively soon that's interactive. So um, lots of new stuff on the horizons for 2021. May it be a place for all of us to find where the money resides, where the money resides. There we go. (laughs) But more importantly, stay safe. And until we see you again, happy eating. No more capillaries for you. (laughs) Don't, don't tell me. (laughs) No, on behalf of Big Daddy and I have a really great holiday season. We'll see you in 2021.